On this week's show, Amazon changes their mind about a selling fee, Mercari changes their mind about some terms of service, and I try to change your mind about selling books on Etsy and eBay. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 218 of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host. We got a little bit of reselling news, but we're going to switch the order up this week. We're going to do the What Sold segment first, because I wanted to talk again about selling books and just reselling kind of in general. I watched a video the other day from my friend Katie, Katie Reads, where she was talking about wanting to just do her own thing, sell the way she wants to sell. And this is something I've talked about on this show several times, and clearly I'm going to talk about again today. Uh, one of the beauties of reselling is that you can do this gig kind of however you want. You can be full-time, you can be part-time, it can be a side hustle, it can be your main gig, you can sell books, you can sell electronics. There are so many different ways that you can make money on this. And one of the things that she commented on and that I find when I'm kind of in the the YouTube and you know social media space with resellers is that there's a lot of resellers, and I've even run into this in person at sales when I'm talking to other sellers, who believe there is only one way, their way to do this. I see these videos all the time, the best way to make money reselling, the, you know, the one way to do this or the best item to sell. And I don't buy any of that. I think if you do it right, you can do this however you want and you can do it in the way that you want, selling the items that you're interested in selling. I ran into a guy at a, a state sale the other day that I, we were talking and I, you know, ah, yes, I'm, I do books. Oh, I do books too. I do FBA. Do you do FBA? And I said, no, I don't, I don't actually sell on Amazon. He's like, oh man, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm like, how can I, I'm making a very nice living selling books solely on eBay, Etsy, Mercari, and Bonanza. I don't, as Katie said in her video, I don't enjoy Amazon. I'm not interested in selling on Amazon. Am I probably leaving some money on the table? Yeah, maybe a little bit, but at the expense of a peace of mind might be too strong of a statement, but being able to do it kind of the way I want to do it and deal in the books that I want to deal in. I'm not... As I talked about a few weeks ago, I'm not going to these sales with a, a scanner and scanning all these books and just rifling through to find things I can sell for a couple of bucks a profit on FBA. That's just not my business model. I'm not interested in doing that because I like old books. <laughs> uh, I like the act of going through and looking at these old vintage, antique, and interesting books, which by the way, don't necessarily always do that well on Amazon to begin with. So it's a completely different business model. I'm not doing it wrong. You're not doing something wrong. You're just doing something differently. Now, there are objectively ways that you can do things wrong. If you're not doing your listings correctly and you're not taking good photos, those are things that are objectively, there's a right and a wrong way to do those things to some extent. But the stuff that you want to sell and the platforms that you want to sell on and the way you want to run your business and your time to me is totally up to you. You can do with this whatever you want. I, I've talked about this probably not recently, but again, just as a reminder, those of you who have been here a long time know this story, but I'm a, I was a lifelong retail manager guy. I was in auto sales. I was making good money. I had a nice career, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled 
and I didn't have the time that I wanted to do things that I enjoyed doing. And as I got into my 50s and realized I was on the downhill side <laughs> uh, of this journey called life, uh, my time became more valuable to me than my career or than money. And I got into reselling because it allowed me to claw back that time to do the things I wanted to do on my terms. I want to knock off in the middle of the afternoon and go for a walk. I can do that. My current leg issue from, as we talked about last week, notwithstanding, uh, I can do that. And then I can come back and work later. If you're working a traditional nine to five, you can't do that. If you're in auto sales, for instance, and you have a customer that comes in five minutes before you're supposed to close and they want to buy a car, you're stuck and you miss events, you miss dinners, you miss whatever. And I just chose to get into reselling to get that time back for myself. And that's what is more valuable to me. Am I making more money than I made selling cars or being in retail management? Absolutely not. Am I a much, much happier person and much more fulfilled in my life? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with getting into reselling to make a mad amount of money. And if, if Amazon FBA is the way you do it, you can be very successful at it. But for those folks or any other person in reselling who is doing it their way, to imply that others of us who are doing it for different reasons with different motivations and different goals are somehow doing things wrong really, really bothers me. So you can let me know if you're watching on YouTube what your thoughts are on any of that. But uh, Katie, I'll, I'll link to her video in the show notes in the video description below. It's only, I don't know, six, seven minutes, but I thought it was really interesting that she was kind of feeling the same way I was feeling at kind of the same time. And this is something that kind of pops up from time to time. And I really wanted to address it. And I wanted to address the fact that, again, as I talk about pretty much every week, you can make money selling books and make a decent living not selling on Amazon. Now, obviously, you can make money selling books on Amazon, too. And again, my point in all of these episodes is not to tell any of you how to run your business. It's to give you suggestions on things that other people might be doing that you might want to integrate into your business or you might not, or just to give you a, another perspective on things. So again, if you're watching on YouTube, let me know down in the comments below what you think of any of that. Uh, if you're listening to the pod, you can always email me at galaxycds at gmail.com or DM me over on Instagram at galaxycdsrocks. But with that having been said, uh, let's get into this what sold segment first and we'll do the reselling news at the back end of the show. So uh, again, if you're following me on Instagram, my Saturday weekly recap, it was another fantastic week here at the Galaxy. Last week was a little bit off. As I said, I think I sold 80 listings last week. This week I sold 115 listings. Uh, had a couple, which I think we'll get to in this particular segment, where customers ordered multiple, multiple items on one transaction. So it was a really terrific week. I'm still seeing sellers out there who are struggling with sales and it, it does seem to cycle when when I have a good week. Some of you have a bad week and vice versa. I don't know what that is, but here we go with some of the stuff that I was able to sell this week. I just picked this up actually at an estate sale last week for $2, the New Jerusalem Bible, uh, the complete text of the ancient canon of the scripture. This was a newer version of this. I've talked about this New Jerusalem Bible before. 
Generally speaking, if I see one, I don't even look it up anymore. I just grab it. They're usually pretty decent money. Again, this is a book I picked up for $2 at an estate sale. I had it listed for $23.99 plus shipping. Uh, got a watcher, sent out my 15% off offer and sold it for $20.39. Again, plus shipping. This book was part of a big estate lot that I bought out. Uh, I've got about a buck in this. Cook's Continental Timetable, August of 1939. This is not an original. This is the 1987 reprint. It's still a hardcover with its dust jacket, but it's the essentially the contents of uh, British Rail in 1939. Again, I own it for about a dollar. Sold for $24.99 plus, again, media mail shipping. This was an interesting one. So I was at an estate sale and there really wasn't too much there, but there were a couple of books that were Arabic and English. This first one was the Holy Bible in both Arabic and English. It was the new international version from the International Bible Society. I took it up to the desk and the guy's like, huh, just what's, what's so special about this Bible? I'm like, well, it's in two languages. It's in Arabic and in English. And I can't recall ever having seen an Arabic Bible. So this book was $3 to me, uh, sold for $24.99, again, plus media mail shipping over on eBay. So those kind of dual language books, uh, and again, anything religious, uh, we talk about all the time can be really, really good. So this was a kind of a perfect combination, $3 into $24.99. First sale over on Etsy. This is a, a print-on-demand item. That business is still just... <sighs> dribs and drabs. It's not great. I actually haven't created any new designs in quite a while because I've really been focusing on getting books and stuff listed. Uh, but this was a, a, a sweatshirt aimed kind of at model railroaders. I still play with trains. It's a sweatshirt uh, crew neck sold for $32.99. My cost on it from Printify is like $18. After all the fees, I probably made like $8, $9 on this. So it's not huge money, but there is some money to be made there if you're at all artistic. Uh, Print-on-demand is all but free other than the listing that you do over on Etsy or wherever you choose to sell. You only get charged when something gets printed, so it's not bad extra little bits of money. Um, And once the listings are done, you essentially don't have to do anything with them again. So a $33 sale over on Etsy for a print-on-demand item. Sticking on Etsy, a couple of old cool paperbacks, Galileo Galilei. Dialogo de Massimi, Sistemi, Volume Primo, and Secondo. I think I said that correctly. They're both in Italian. They're from 1959. I believe this may have originally been a three-volume set, but there were two of these paperbacks and a big lot of books, the 15,000 book purchase lot that I talk about regularly. So I'm into these for less than four cents. The two of them sold for $39.99 plus shipping. Back over to eBay. This was an item I picked up in an estate sale uh, two weeks ago for $2. The Logos Complete International Study Bible, the American Standard Version. It was from 1972. Leather, not in the greatest condition. If you're watching on YouTube, you may be able to tell the leather is worn, particularly along the spine. Not really very many of these out there. Not much to go on from comps. I listed this at auction for $39.99. It got two bids and sold for $41 plus shipping. I was hoping it might go for a little bit more than that, but again, from a couple of bucks to $41 is a flip I think most of us would take every day. 
I was at a garage sale last week and they had a ton of old vintage science fiction and kind of horror books for 50 cents a piece, uh, including some stuff that is really, really difficult to find. I bought, man, I don't even know, 30 or 40 books at this garage sale. Garage sales are not typically great for me, but the last month I've had at least one garage sale every week that I go to that I make a big score. This week it was this bunch of books. This was the thing. It was the Alan Dean Foster movie novelization. So he based the novel on the original movie script from 1982. Second printing, paperback from Bantam Books, so not a first printing. Still crazy valuable. I listed it kind of right in the middle of the comps at $49.99. And again, sent out an offer to a watcher of 15% off. It sold this thing for $42.49 from an initial investment of $0.50. Cents. The first of the multi-purchase uh, sales, this person bought 11 items. Uh, I talk about these old science fiction digests quite a bit. I picked up a big lot a couple of years ago of these for, I don't know, 44 cents a piece is what it worked out to. There were 600 and some of them. Some of them have brought individually pretty good money if they had like the first published work of somebody like... Uh, Philip K. Dick or Asimov or any of these people, but there are a lot of them that were individually not worth a whole bunch of money. This person bought 11 of these digests and paid a total of $67.09, so about six sixty dollars a piece. Not great, but from $0.44 cents a piece up to $67, I'll take it. Another 11 item sale. That was the number this week. I should play that in the lottery. Uh, this was 11 hardcover books. One of them I had just picked up at an estate sale this past week for $2. It was the Homer Odyssey books one through 12 was published back in 1895 by the Clarendon press in Oxford was in really good condition and also happened to be in Greek. That book in this lot was $39.99. The total lot of 11 items, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, was only $75.59. So the other 10 books were worth about $3.50 a piece, but they're all things that had been in my inventory for a very long time. My average good cost, cost of goods sold on these is about 25 or 26 cents. So it still ended up being a pretty good sale overall. 10 books that I'm into for probably 260 and this one for 2 bucks. So I have less than $5 in this wholesale and made $75.59 plus shipping and moved out a bunch of old inventory. So pretty nice sale. Uh, and that's one of the advantages. And I don't talk about this enough. And somebody asked, somebody made a comment on, I don't know if it was on the video or on my Instagram. And they said something about, I wish I could sell my books for that much. When I go over these kind of the big hitters and I, I, I responded to that comment by saying, you know, I'm a, as is the case with most of these videos that you see on YouTube, we're only showing you the best of the best. I'm picking the top 10, 12, 15 sales every week to show you kind of things that you want to be on the lookout for. But that's not actually my bread and butter. My bread and butter is the other 70, 80, 90 items a week that I sell for less than $20, which is kind of the cutoff for what I put in these videos. There's a lot of money to be made. If you're, again, if you're buying right, buying really low, buying in bulk, or just getting good deals, you can make nice, steady money selling books on eBay or Etsy for $10, 12 $15 a piece. If your cost of goods sold is only a dollar or two and you move 100 of them a week, 
I got no problem with that whatsoever. I'm not, the home runs are nice. The ones I share with you in these episodes are really cool and they're a lot of fun uh, to make money on, but it is not the staple, the core of my business. The core of my business is these 10, 12, $15 items that I'm still making eight, 10, sometimes 12 times my initial investment on from big lots of books. So I don't have any problem in this case. Like I said, it was 10 book, books that sold for $3 and 60 cents a piece roughly, but I've only got 25 or 26 cents in them. So I made better than 10 times, almost 15 times my my initial investment on those, even though they're individually small sales. So I guess the point of that rant is don't always get caught up in trying to hit the home run. There is something to be said for steady bread and butter, 10, 15, $20 items that you can sell repeatedly day in and day out. Um, I, that is, again, that's my business model. There are people out there who don't want to mess with that kind of stuff. They only want to sell the more expensive stuff, and that is their business model. Uh, the reason I do this is because this stuff is relatively easy to find and relatively cheap to buy. And because I'm doing it full time, I don't have anything else to do anyway. So I've got the time to list and I've got the space to store these. So it works for me. Moving on. uh, Here's your flip of the week. This book I have had for a little while. This was part again of the 15,000 book lot. So I'm into this for about three and a half cents. Uh, Just amazing. Democracy and World Dominion by Edward or Edwin, I should say, D. Schoonmaker from 1939. It was published by Richard R. Smith hardcover. Again, I'm into it for three and a half cents. I had it listed for $249.99 plus shipping. It got a watcher. I sent out an offer. I assume on a lot of these big items, when I send out offers, that it is in fact just another seller wanting to see if there's any action on this book. In this case, it was an actual buyer who paid $212.49 for this book. So I I don't know how likely you are to find it out in the wild, but Democracy and World Dominion from 1939 by Edwin D. Schoonmaker is definitely a bolo. (laughs) Uh, You probably, the odds of you picking one up for three and a half cents are probably not good, but if you can get it for $5, even that is a terrific flip. So I was really, really pleased with that and how the whole week went. As I said, it was very, very busy. You can let me know in the comments down below uh, what you thought of any of these sales or or any of my rants in this first half of the segment. Uh, It's been an interesting week Uh, and I hope yours has been good. And now we're going to get into a little bit of reselling news. News updates. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, I did an uh, uh, an episode where I talked about the various fees that were going up, and UPS was raising their fee and adding a holiday surcharge, and FedEx was doing the same, and the credit card companies were doing the same. You can search in my history, and you can see that video and listen to that if you want to. Uh, but I mentioned at the time that the United States Postal Service, for the last several years, had had a holiday surcharge, and there had not yet at that time been any announcement about whether they were going to do one this year or not. And my assumption was that since they hadn't announced it, that there was not going to be one and score one for the good guys. I was right. Uh, the United States Postmaster General DeJoy announced last week no holiday surcharge this year. 
outstanding. Uh, Postmaster Louis Louis DeJoy announced there would be no additional surcharges this peak season. Quote, we are ready to handle any peak season volume in a superior and routine manner. That is why we will not be adding any additional surcharges for our customers this peak period. That is terrific news. The, the surcharges over the last couple of years have been not huge, but it's essentially just lost lost profit or lost if you're charging for for shipping. It's lost money to the customers. So this is terrific. He made these remarks during a press briefing. Our 2022 peak season was a tremendous success. We're ready to deliver for the holidays in a superior and routine manner. We have been planning early and leveraging investments in our people infrastructure, transportation, and technology made possible by the Developing for America plan. That's his big reimagining of the U.S. Postal Service. I know a lot of people have had issues with what they've been doing and what he's been doing in particular. But as we look back over the last couple of years, things have actually, uh, and I've mentioned this before, they seem to have improved quite a bit at the post office. I'm having Less and less items delayed. I'm having less and less items lost in the mail or coming back damaged. Uh, the service seems to have improved over time. You can let me know again in the comments down below what your experience has been. But mine over the last 18 months has actually been really, really good with USPS. With no holiday surcharges, he went on, we are strongly positioned to be America's most affordable delivery provider this holiday season. This article, which is on e-commerce bites. As always, these will be linked down below the USPS charged peak surcharges for the last three years, and online sellers will likely welcome the relief from the uh, welcome the relief the succession of holiday surcharges will bring. It's easy for me to read. So uh, they talk about some other things that they have done, some key investments that they've made ahead of the peak season, and just in general, they're hiring ten thousand seasonal employees this year. They have added 348 new package sorting machines. These are put in strategically in local communities to help streamline the flow of goods, which again, to my earlier point, seems to be working. They've increased their daily processing capacity to approximately 70 million packages. And they're now moving 95% of volume via more reliable ground transportation. Now, part of that is the new shipping solution the USPS Ground Advantage. One of the things that they wanted to do with that was things that were first class that were going across the country typically were getting put on planes. Now that that is all lumped into this ground program, if it makes more sense, both economically and from an efficiency standpoint, to just put the thing on a truck and ship it across country, they're able to do that because they have that extra day's worth of time window that they've allowed themselves and they're now moving 95% of their goods through ground, which is saving them a ton of money on transportation costs, uh, which probably has factored into the reason that they don't need to do a surcharge this year. So if you were banking on having to pay more for shipping this Christmas for USPS, they're not sticking it to us this year, which is awesome news. We talked about Amazon's new uh, Seller Fulfilled Prime program several months ago. And one of the contentions with this program was that there was going to be a 2% additional fee charged to sellers to participate in the program. It was announced last week that Amazon is going to drop 
that 2% fee for using Seller Fulfilled Prime when it becomes available in October. This was according to an article in Bloomberg. Amazon had announced back in June that it was reviving the program and provided more details in August, saying the program would open on October 1st. The program does have a high bar. If you're an Amazon seller, you may not even qualify for this program. And not every seller, frankly, is going to be interested in participating. But if you were, the 2% extra fee was a bit of a bummer and probably something that would have dissuaded people from participating. They have since eliminated that fee. So if you're an Amazon seller uh, and want to do Prime sales but fulfill yourself, this is a program that you might want to look into. There are more details here in this article and, of course, over on Amazon. I'm not going to go over all that, but the big news there is that that fee has been eliminated. Mercari sent out a notice uh, last week that they were making some changes to their terms of service, and they were not in their announcement particularly clear about what those changes were or why they were making them. It just said they're making changes to how they handle legal disputes and the use of arbitration, they said, in cases of multiple claims. So I... I'm a nerd. I went in. (laughs) I read this so you don't have to kind of thing. I went into the actual section where they talk about this and looked at it. I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes going over what it is. This is not something that probably will apply to very many people, but it's interesting that it must be happening enough and they must be having enough of the same types of problems that they've made some changes, particularly to multiple claims. So the, the standard arbitration clause is you and Mercari agree that each of us may bring claims against the other only on an individual basis and not as a plaintiff or class member in any purported class or representative action or proceeding. So they're saying that if you use their service, you are not able to launch or participate in a class action lawsuit against Mercari for anything that you think that they may do wrong and they cannot do the same to you. Not that they probably would. Um, Unless both you and Makari agree otherwise, the arbitrator may not consolidate or join more than one person's or party's claims and may not otherwise preside over any form of a consolidated representative or class proceeding. Any relief awarded cannot affect other users. So they want everything to be between you, an individual seller, and them, the company, not groups of people all with the same issue, all pursuing the same kind of claim, which is really interesting to me. Uh, The arbitration procedures they outline, there's an independent arbitrator, no federal, state, or local court or agency, and the arbitrator will have exclusive authority to resolve any dispute. The arbitration will be conducted by the American Arbitration Association and under its rules in effect at the time of the filing for arbitration. So that's interesting as well. The arbitrator will decide the substance of all claims in accordance with the laws of the state of California. So that is also something to be aware of. Uh, including recognized principles of equity and will honor all claims of privilege recognized by law. The arbitrator shall not be bound by rulings in prior arbitrations involving different users so they can decide these claims on an individual basis regardless of any precedent of how any previous claims of the same type have been resolved. Also quite interesting, but is bound by rulings in prior arbitrations involving the same Mercari user. So if you have had the same issue previously... They're bound by whatever their resolution was in your case, but not others. To the extent required by applicable law or regulation, the arbitrator's award shall be final and binding in judgment on the award rendered by the arbitrator and may be entered in any court having jurisdiction thereof. 
so that's really interesting. So they are literally going to decide these cases on an individual basis. And the only precedent that will affect your case would be if you had the exact same type of case previously. They're bound by the precedent that affected you, but not one that may have affected me, which is interesting to say the least. Additional procedures for multiple case filings. And this was kind of the highlight of this thing. You and Mercari agree that these additional procedures for multiple case filings, in addition to the arbitration procedures above, shall apply if you choose to participate in a multiple case filing. If 25 or more similar disputes, including yours, are asserted against Mercari by the same or a coordinated counsel or are otherwise coordinated in a multiple case filing, the resolution of your dispute might be delayed and ultimately proceed in court. So if they get 25 or more people filing a claim together for one particular issue, they may choose to take it to court rather than to go through arbitration, which is kind of weird considering how vociferous they are <laughs> about not wanting to go to court. Uh, you and Mercari agree that as part of these procedures, the party's counsel shall meet and confer in good faith in an effort to resolve the disputes, streamline procedures, address the exchange of information, modify the number of disputes to be adjudicated, and conserve the parties and uh, the arbitrator's resources. They break this thing into two stages. And the thing that really caught my attention, uh, and I I'm, I'm mentioned this on someone's Instagram post, I think it was Memphis Cotton that had shared this, uh, stage one, if at least 50 Disputes are submitted as part of the multiple case filing. Counsel for the claimants and counsel for Macari shall each select 25 disputes to be filed and proceed as cases in individual arbitrations as part of this initial stage process. So if there are 50 of you in the in the action, 25 of you are going to get chosen to, to have your claims adjudicated, and they're all going to be handled individually. They're not going to be handled as a group. So again, they could treat you differently than they treat me when we have the exact same issue. Again, weird. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> that just seems strange to me, and I'm not sure what it is they're actually trying to protect, obviously, other than themselves in this case. But anyway, the number of disputes to be selected uh, to proceed in stage one can be increased by agreement of counsel for the parties. And if there are fewer than 50, all shall proceed individually in stage one. Each of the 50 or fewer shall be assigned to a different arbitrator and proceed individually. If the case is withdrawn before the issuance of an award, another claim shall be selected to proceed. Then it goes to stage two. If the remaining disputes have not been resolved at the conclusion of stage one, counsel again for the claimants and counsel for Macari shall each select 40 now disputes per side to be filed and proceed again as cases in individual arbitration as part of this second staged process. The number of disputes to be selected for this second stage process can be increased again by the agreement of the two parties. And if there are fewer than 80 disputes, all shall proceed individually. So they're setting themselves up in a situation where essentially if there are less than 80 of the same claims, they're going to handle them individually. Uh, very, very weird situation. So I'm not I'm not totally sure what they're trying to accomplish here. Uh, they note, upon completion of the mediation set forth in stage two, each remaining dispute, if any that is not settled or not withdrawn, shall be opted out of arbitration and may proceed in a court of competent jurisdiction consistent with the remainder of these terms. So apparently if you're not one that's selected and you don't agree to the settlement that they do, then you can actually take them to court. Strange. Costs will be paid. 
administration and arbitrator fees will be governed by the AAA's rules for claims under $10,000. Mercari will reimburse you for all arbitration fees, including the initial filing fee, if you are deemed the prevailing party by the arbitrator. So be aware of that. If you lose, you're going to pay for whatever the fees are involved in the arbitration. Only if you win will Mercari pay those fees. So this is not something that's going to prevent me from selling on Mercari. I've not ever had any issues that, and I can't imagine what these issues are. Obviously they don't really talk about it, but they clearly have had some sort of issue go on that they have had multiple claims and in numbers up to 50 or 80 claimants. So something is not right over there. Again, it's not going to affect my uh, desire or willingness to sell over on Mercari, but it is a pretty massive change to their terms of service and something that I thought you should be aware of. Last little bit of news, and this isn't necessarily reselling related, but Facebook now lets you separate personal from professional. Facebook is rolling out the ability to have multiple personal profiles, which can be helpful for online sellers who want to keep friends and family separate from their selling, reselling, and collecting connections. For example, as Facebook parent Meta explained in this week's announcement, Some people may prefer to keep their personal and professional relationships separate, or it explained you may want to keep one profile tied to a community you're part of and another profile just for friends. However, they say Facebook is not changing its policy on account integrity and authentic identity, which states that the user's main Facebook profile must be in the name they go by in everyday life. You can choose any name for your additional profiles, but not for your main profile, it clarified. How it works, you can choose a name and have an at username for up to four additional personal profiles. Connect with the people or communities you choose so each profile has a unique feed with relevant content and shared interests. The article notes, be aware of privacy issues when creating new profiles. They are automatically set to the default settings on Facebook, meaning if you change your notification and privacy settings, those settings do not carry over to these new profiles. You'll need to go in and update them individually. So if you're a seller and you want to have an account for your eBay and Etsy business or whatever it is, you can now do that and have it tied to your regular personal account. You don't have to set up a page or anything like that. Or if you just want to follow a particular craft or hobby and not have that in your main feed, you could do that as well. This is something that will be rolling out, uh, started rolling out last Thursday and will continue over the next few months. So it's not something that's necessarily available to everyone just yet, but it is coming again. You can let me know if you have any interest in that. I'm, I'm social media out. If I, <laughs> uh, if I'm being honest, I'm not, I have a Twitter uh, or an X, I guess it is now. I'd spent so long since I've been on there. I don't, I don't use it. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook and that's about it. I'm not doing threads. I'm not, I'm not on TikTok. I don't, I, I don't have time for that stuff. And it's not, again, going back to how I opened this episode, You can choose the things that you do and don't want to do. And uh, would some of those things potentially be beneficial for the podcast or the channel? Yeah, they probably would. Do I want to make the investment in time and effort to make those things be successful for me? Mm, No, I don't. It's not. (laughs) It's just not worth it to me. It's not what I'm interested in doing. Is it costing me views, subscribers, whatever, as not selling on Amazon is maybe costing me a little bit of money? Yes, it is. But... The flip side is I have the peace of mind of not having to look at 10, 15, 20 different social media profiles every day to feed the beast. So uh, again, everybody has the option to do what they want. And anybody who tells you that you're doing it wrong, unless it's tied to a very specific 
actual way to do something within a platform is probably someone you should think about whether or not you want to be following. With that, uh, hopefully you got something useful or interesting out of this episode. Uh, If you did, please do me a favor. If you're watching on YouTube and hit that thumbs up button. If you're not currently a subscriber to the channel or a follower of the podcast, you can do that as well. And please feel free to share this content with any like-minded resellers that you think might also find value from it. I hope everyone has a great week. I know people are really starting to gear up for fourth quarter. I'm starting to see a lot of posts, uh, particularly on Instagram, about people really knuckling down, getting listings up, and getting inventory set up for fourth quarter. It's going to be here before you know it. It is almost October already. This year has just flown by. Uh, So uh, again, feel free to let me know in the comments what you're doing for fourth quarter. Speaking of, and now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.